it is time for the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear monster kid radio and this is episode 438 of the show we are opening up this episode with the song invasion of the shark men it is from the album wild surf power from the french surf band beach moonsters there will be a link in the show notes but if you can't wait to check out what they've got lined up, go over to beachmoonsters.bandcamp.com and check out their EP release or just look them up on Facebook. However you do it, let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. Welcome to the show this week. We've got a lot lined up for you guys and gals. We are getting real close to the most wonderful time of the year. I'm not going to sing. We are so close to October and October is the month of Halloween. It's a monster kid, you know, I look forward to this time of year all year round. I mean, there's always a part of me on the inside that thinks it's Halloween. I mean, it's just how I roll, but October, it's it's coming. And there are certain traditions, certain things that I do around here every October, every Halloween, and I'll talk about that later on in this episode. For now, let's finish out September with a bang, or a bug, or an amoeba. This time around, we are talking about the kaiju film Space Amoeba. It might also be known as Yogg, the Space Amoeba. By the time this episode is done, no, you'll know it as the movie that I talked about with Good Beer, Bad Movie Nights, Pete Quint. Pete is a musician, a podcaster, an aficionado of all things kaiju and tokusatsu, and I had a blast chatting about this movie with him. I am excited to get that to you guys and gals. Of course... That's not the only thing we're doing this week on the show. We've got Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We have Professor Frenzy with a new bedtime story. And we'll be visited by the good doctor. Well, one of the good doctors. I know a handful of doctors now. But Dr. Tom, he's going to take us to the world of monster collectibles. Also, later on in this episode, I'm going to do a little bit of housekeeping. Talk about some things that are coming up. And, well, just, we got a lot to do. So, uh, let's make like Philip DeFranco and jump right into it. Maneuver completed, link up accomplished successfully, starting rocket motors to continue flight over and out. Next step, Mars, 35 million miles away. Mission Mars. Three astronauts on a mission to the forbidden reaches of a red planet, defying the elements, inviting death and disaster. Darren McGavin, who gambled his life on a fantastic mission to a world no other living man had ever seen. Oh, darling, I'm so scared. Nick Adams, who shared the incredible odyssey, living an adventure beyond his wildest dreams. Mission Mars. They met their destiny on a planet that time forgot. An adventure that smashes the barriers of man's imagination. Watch out, the ball is opening! Help me! Mission Mars. 
Good evening, Monster Kids. This is the Count. I'm here with some friends to tell you about our favorite board and card game podcast. It's Go Forth and Game. Tom and Ryan talk about all things gaming with special emphasis on interviews with game designers and publishers. What do you think about this, my tall, gaunt friend? Go Forth Game! Good. And what about you, my undead comrade? I think Go Forth and Game is the most entertaining podcast about board and card games that I've come across in 4,522 years. So, if you enjoy listening to two monster kids discuss topics like abstract games, the best family games, game schooling, various game mechanics, and of course, monster-themed games, then you should give Go Forth and Game a try. That's GoForthAndGame.com, available on iTunes and Spotify. This is the voice of the uninvited. of terror on the haunted cliffs of Cornwall, where the uninvited walk unseen by men. Yet a cat arches its back in fright. Flowers are withered by the touch of an unseen malignant hand. Candles flicker and die as a ghostly chill fills the air, and the living are clutched by the icy horror of the restless dead. Stop, Pamela. Don't go near that door. The Uninvited, Dorothy McCardle's gripping novel of the supernatural comes to the screen, starring Rayma Land, Ruth Hussey, Donald Crisp, with Cornelia Otis Skinner, and introducing the exciting beauty of Gail Russell, whose first love is shadowed by the specters of the past. Stella, what is it? Are you ill, Stella? Quiet. Leave her alone. Oi, gone. Oi, gone. Stop her, Scott. She's in a trance. I saw this happen once before at a seance. I thought it was a fake. But this isn't. I know. It's dangerous. Please get out of this house now. Now lie there quietly. I'm not afraid of anything here. Then be afraid. Be afraid for heaven's sake. When you were a little child, the evils of this house reached out for you. Stella, go! Go! Monster Kid Radioheads, this is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Let's continue our issue-by-issue look of movies covered with issue number 7 from June of 1960. He took five normal people, this world's greatest authority on organic molecular structures, and turned them into a handful of struggling heads. 
with shrunken bodies still attached and tiny hearts beating wildly in terror. To their doll-like eyes, he was gargantuan, until they blinded him in one eye, and then he became Cyclopean. Thus begins FM7's article on 1940's Dr. Cyclops, entitled Cyclops and Lollipops, the only film featured in this issue. It was a 10-page article loaded with 15 photos. The text features a pun-filled synopsis. Here is how the initial shrinking of the visiting scientist is described. The recently arrived foursome is only displaying normal scientific curiosity, but Dr. Thorpool, who probably was a little odd to begin with, seems to feel that they're poking their noses too much into his business. So he decides to shorten them, not just their noses, but their whole bodies. In short order, Bill, Mary, Dr. Bullfinch, and Steve, plus Dr. Thorpool's man of all work, Pedro, are hustled under the doc's sprinkloscope, and the next thing you know, they're as small as five little all-day suckers. In fact, they're so small that if they tried to lick a stamp, the stamp would probably lick them instead. The plot description continues until this thrilling finale. Now it's war, war to the finish, between Cyclops and the teeny agers. Vision blurred, Thorful goes berserk, shooting his gun, throwing furniture, turning the room topsy-turvy. In his near-blind rage, he stumbles and falls into a well, but at the last minute clutches the rope on the windlass. It is Steve Baker who risks his life to charge the Cyclops and make him fall to his death. The giant's day is done. Now he'll never create that army of little spies, sub-miniature saboteurs, and toy soldiers that he had blueprinted in his brilliant but deranged brain. And where do the lollipops come in? Right here. Because in 10 days, without further raise, the tiny people have grown back to normal size. Everything's fine and dandy, sweet as candy. The villain took a fatal licking, and we got a happy ending. And I know for that, most any day, we're all suckers. Dr. Cyclops has not been featured on Monsterkin Radio. Made during the classic Universal phase by Paramount, this special effects classic deserves a closer look. So, what you waiting for, Derek? That's all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This is Kenny for MKR. We'll be back with more next week. Adios! They burned it down. If you rebuild it, they will come. You didn't hear them? Beg your pardon? The voices? Pete? If you rebuild it, they will go. They blew it up. If you rebuild it, they will come. They demolished it. If you rebuild it, they will go. But horror has a permanent address. Welcome to my home. The house of Frankenstein lives. We began a project a few years ago, but unfortunately it was, it was interrupted and we're most anxious to take it up again. In September and October, the Fire and Water Podcast Network presents a Supermates tradition covering four classic horror films and four related comic book adventures. I must find more victims before my work is done. You need look no further, vampires. We'll take the bat jet to the Hall of Justice and transform the other super friends. <laughs> Featuring an all-star cast. James Spader. What are you, crazy? Jack Nicholson. Oh, just marking my territory. Anthony Hopkins. She lives beyond the grace of God. 
a wanderer in the outer darkness. Lon Chaney Jr. One becomes accustomed to the darkness here. Michelle Pfeiffer. You're afraid that when it gets dark, you'll attack me. Vincent Price. Let's uh, see what the rest of this mausoleum looks like. <laughs> Gary Oldman. And there's really of your own will and leave some of the happiness you bring. Winona Ryder. I almost feel pity for anything so hunted as this count. Peter Cushing. I am a doctor of medicine, law, and physics. To the best of my knowledge, doctorates are not awarded for witchcraft. But if ever they are, no doubt I shall qualify for one. And Keanu Reeves. Doctor! This Halloween, visit our field of screams at the scenic house of Frankenstein, where terror is only a listen away. <laughs> When the forces of nature erupt, the ocean floor opens up, and five men and one woman are hurtled 15 miles straight down to latitude zero. Discover the incredible space age world of tomorrow at latitude zero. Discover the undersea metropolis, the battle of the flying submarines, the attack of the giant mutants, and discover the unbelievable human transplant, a live woman's brain into the body of a beast. Latitude Zero, where man's future explodes 15 miles beneath the sea. From National General Pictures in color rated G, general audiences. Christopher Lee and Bert Eklund star in Anthony Schaffer's internationally award-winning fable of the ancient gods, The Wicker Man, the most controversial film of the decade. Right anybody. Phallic symbol. The phallic symbol. That is correct. It is venerated in religions such as ours as symbolizing the generative force in nature. Could I have a word with you, please, miss? Certainly. Yes. Open your desk and take out your exercise books. Everywhere I go on this island, it seems to me I find degeneracy. There is brawling in bars. There is indecency in public places. And there is corruption of the young, and now I see it all stems from here. It stems from the filth taught here in this very schoolroom. <laughs> Paganism, human sacrifice, the wicker man. Oh my God! Christ! At the Meadowbrook Cinema. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Welcome to Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories, created especially for Monster Kid Radio. My name is Jerry Green. In this segment, I'm going to tell you a story from EC Horror Comics. Today's story is Mute Witness to Murder. It is from Tales from the Crypt number 18, the June-July issue from 1950. It was written by Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, and the art was by Johnny Craig. So sit back and relax while I tell this tale of silence. Pam and Steve had a wonderful night out on the town for their second wedding anniversary. It was 3 a.m., and Steve had to work the next day, so he went to bed, and Pam stayed up for a while. When she looked out the window, she saw a couple fighting in their apartment across the alley. Their argument got worse and worse until Pam saw the man kill the woman. She raced into the bedroom to tell Steve, but she found that the shock of what she had witnessed had caused her to go mute. She could not speak. 
Steve sent for the doctor, Dr. Bask, and Pam was shocked to find that it was the same man she saw in the window. Steve explained that she was looking out the window when something upset her. The doctor realized what she had seen and gave her a shot so she could sleep. Pam woke up in a cell in the sanitarium. Basque had convinced everyone that she had a dangerous mental illness and she would have to be locked up in the cell. She still couldn't speak, but attacked the doctor who had to take a heart pill due to the exertion. He put her in a straitjacket. The only way out of the cell was to get on the intercom with a guard who would buzz the door open. But since Pam couldn't speak, she had no way to communicate with the staff. Basque realized that Pam might get her voice back at any time and told her that he had scheduled a brain operation that she would never wake up from. When the day of the operation came, he removed the straitjacket from Pam, and she attacked him again. Bass grabbed his chest, his heart. He needed his medicine, but left it in his office. Pam let Bass know she could now speak. He begged her to call the guard in on the intercom, but she covered her ears and turned away. When she turned back, Basque was dead. Pam got onto the intercom to tell the guard that Basque had died of a heart attack. The end. I hope you enjoyed that heart-wrenching story. This week, EC is back making the bad guys pay for their crimes. I could really feel Pam's frustration at not being able to speak and being in danger. The couple of coincidences that set up Pam's imprisonment are something you'd expect to see in these kinds of stories, though I do have to wonder what happened to Pam's husband Steve with her in the sanitarium. As far as the art goes, it's Johnny Craig, and that means awesome. Pam is a gorgeous, doe-eyed beauty. Basque looks smarmy until he's in trouble, then he's sweaty and pathetic. The panels showing Pam looking out the window at Basque and his wife's fight are great storytelling. Pam standing at the window. Pam sees the couple fight. From the fighting couple's living room, you can see Pam's silhouette at her window across the alley. Then Pam sees the murder. Shocking. Great stuff from a master. If you're interested in a copy of Tales from the Crypt Volume 1, the book can be purchased on Amazon, and you can find a link to buy it on the MKR website. I hope you enjoyed the story. My name is Jerry Green, and you can find me on my podcast, The Professor Frenzy Show, where we talk about new indie comics and bat books for beginners, where we talk about historical Batman and Bat Family comics. You can also catch me on Twitter at Professor Frenzy and search for Professor Frenzy on YouTube, where you can find The Professor Frenzy Show and some exciting projects we have coming up. Professor Stay Frenzy, tuned. It's Thanks a show. for listening. Professor Frenzy Show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy Show. Once a normal, voluptuously beautiful woman, she drove into a nightmare of horror and saw descending from the sky a titanic monster whose fearsome touch became a frightful curse. You think I'm drunk, don't you? All of you! I'm not drunk! I'm not! You've got to believe me! Please. It was right in the middle of the highway, 30 feet tall! 
Once she's in the booby hatch, throw the key away. That'll put you in the driver's seat. You'd make a wild driver, Harry. With 50 million bucks. What she saw was beyond belief until others, too, faced its hideous, uncontrollable menace. Attack of the 50-foot woman, incredibly huge, with incredible desires for love and vengeance. hysterical, hilarious horrors when you join those Bowery boys as overnight guests in a mansion of merry maniacs. We just want your heads. Well, oh, well, if you said that in a quick... Our heads? Uncle Anton, the scientific stoop. Oh, oh, oh. Would you like a high cut or a low cut, sir? Oh, I'd like a low cut. Uncle Derek, the medical madman. What is it you're trying to say? Help! Yeah. Cousin Francine, the fluff with the stuff. I mean business. Aunt Amelia, who's no camellia. The butler Grisson, he's gruesome. The family tree, a man-eating honeysuckle. Boy, oh boy, I feel just like a space cadet. This will register his brain potential. <laughs> My friend here has a vacuum-packed head. The Bowery Boys get the heebies, the jeebies, the willies, and the shakes while you get the laughs of the year. Gentlemen, I have a suggestion. 50 50. No, no, no. Routine six, Satch. presents Dr. Tong's World of Monster Collectibles. Spanning the globe looking for monster goo so you don't have to. Dateline, the internet. Bonjour, my little chickadees. How's everybody out there in MKR land this week? Not much to report on the new monster release frontier, but I was able to eke out a couple of gems for this particular segment. First off, who out there likes Scooby-Doo? Oh, come on, hands up. In the back, Sullivan, uh, I know you do. Well, NECA has taken that love of really bad Saturday morning animation and released a series of modern-day slashers into that old-school wonky style. The Toonie Terrors line of six-inch figures features such modern-day killers as Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street, Jason from the Friday the 13th series, complete with hockey mask and machete, as well as two different versions of Pennywise the Clown from It, the modern-day film version, as well as the Tim Curry miniseries version. These are currently available at finer merchants everywhere. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears! I have some swinging news for all you horror audiophiles out there. 
from our friends over at Something Weird Video. Following up their Something Weird Greatest Hits double album from last year, comes word that they are releasing an amazing collection of spook promos and radio spots monstrously mashed up together with fiendishly rare surf and garage rock instrumentals. Or so their ad copy that I just read says. In my own words, Spook Show Spectacular Gogo is set to be released on October 25th, just in time for Halloween. It features 32 tracks. I'm so excited, I can't even talk right now. It features 32 tracks of monstrous audio goodies that will surely have you drooling all over your turntable. But please try not to. We all know how hard that is to clean up. You can pre-order the album over on Something Weird Bandcamp sites at somethingweirdvideo.bandcamp.com. Also, a little rabid bat has told me that you can look forward to an upcoming episode of MKR devoted exclusively to the art of the spook show, as well as lots more info on the Something Weird audio release. Ooh, pinch me. Artist Spotlight This following artist has his feet firmly planted in the 80s. Whether it's video games, movies, or animated cartoons, he has you covered in that 80s nostalgia. God knows, once you get it on you, it's hard to get off. Simply known as 8-Bit Zombie, his custom-made t-shirts, trucker hats, patches, and stickers are everything your 12-year-old self wishes existed back in that glorious decade. All of his creations are limited editions, and if you see something you like, you need to jump on it. Especially popular items that he makes are fantasy plastic lunchboxes using 80s cartoon characters and a made-up character, Thrashor, a mutant skater done in the Masters of the Universe He-Man action figure style, package and all. Big Trouble in Little China, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Labyrinth, The Never-Ending Story, 80s Saturday morning weekday cartoon fair like Mr. T, G.I. Joe, and Masters of the Universe are all fair game. Check out 8BZ on Instagram, that's the number 8BZ on Instagram, or head on over to his website to see what he has left in stock at 8bitzombie.com. Aha. The pangs of nostalgia are strong with this one. Vintage Monster Toys! I have been a Haunted Mansion fanatic since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. My family visited Disneyland when I was really, really young. Like, six, seven maybe? For me, I remember the mansion being scary, thrilling, and funny all at the same time. Which is very unusual for Disneyland, where everything is family-friendly and sugar-coated. Well, except for maybe pirates, but that's another day and another story. The only other two memories I have of that wonderful day? One was getting to ride inside the Nautilus submarine from 20,000 leagues under the sea. And the second, and not so great a memory, is I had left my Disney character erasers my dad had just bought me on the monorail. Man, was he ticked. Now fast forward a couple of years to 1975. And I can't quite recall if it was for my birthday or Christmas. Well, seeing as they are both in the same month and a week apart. But my aunt and uncle got me a gift of the Lakeside Disney World Haunted Mansion board game. I was ecstatic. Not only did it scratch my ever-loving itch of creepy, monstrous haunted places, but it brought back the fun memories from just a couple of years earlier. Released in 1975, the Lakeside game is quite impressive in its fashion as well as its function. The graphics are really amazing, and a very reminiscent of the Haunted Mansion book and record set released a few years earlier. The premise of the game was fairly easy. 
your colored playing piece, which resembled a child riding in a doom buggy, twists and turns its way through the mansion, and the first one out wins. Oh, and did I mention the spinning wheels built into the playing board? Their movement all depended on if someone landed on a spot on the board, telling them to turn the wheels a quarter turn. On the wheels were upright cutouts of the characters from the mansion. A couple of the ballroom dancers, Gus and Ezra of the Hitchhiking Ghosts, apparently Phineas was on a coffee break at the time, the opera singers from the graveyard, and the knobby need caretaker and his dog. If your playing piece was blocked by one of these characters, you had to change your direction, or if you were hit by one, you were sent directly to the dungeon until you could roll a one or a six on the die to get yourself out. The last obstacle you had to avoid was that crafty old raven. He swung down and he could block the entrance so you couldn't escape. The makeup of the game was fairly unusual, and I guess that was to go along with the subject matter. You took the top off the game, and the board was the actual bottom of the box, wheels in place and all. Then you would attach the backdrop onto the board, giving it a very 3D feel to a 2D graphic game. Now, let's broach the subject of some of the graphics for a moment. On the front of the box, the game was clearly labeled Walt Disney World's Haunted Mansion Game. But the house depicted on the front of the box was the mansion from Disneyland? Oh well, so much for that continuity. The mansion, as it is seen in Florida, is present on the sides of the playfield box, and it alternates sides with the California mansion. Now, also in 1975, Lakeside released a 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea game based on the Disney movie, and that was done in the exact same style as the mansion game, with the use of the board, the setup with the spinning wheels, the backdrop, etc. And then there's another little tidbit. There was a game released in 1974 a year earlier by a UK company, Denny's Fisher. It was called Ghost Train, and the board style and backdrop are the same, but the graphics are different than the mansion game, with a giant spider blocking your exit instead of the raven. Oh, and did I mention the Canadian version of the Haunted Mansion game? No? Eh, really, the only difference was that it was released with bilingual instructions and the title on the front cover of the game. Polyvoux Francais? Now, pricing on these has gotten a tad ridiculous over the last few years, with sealed copies reaching as much as 500 bucks. Really? <sighs> if you keep your eyes and ears open and your wallet shut, your perseverance just may win out. Or if you can't wait, eBay's awaiting. If you got any sneak peeks of monster merchandise coming out soon, or feedback on the DTWOMC segments, drop Derek a line and he'll forward it along to me here at MKR. And if you're interested, you can see what's going on at my toy shop over on Instagram at Dr. Tongues Toys, as well as Facebook under Dr. Tongues I Had That Shop. Or on my private Instagram account, MonsterMan64, to see some of the cool stuff I pick up for my own monster collection. This is Mark, Dr. Tongue Peterson, saying, Happy Monster Collecting, everybody. I'm out! Peace! Attention! You will be buried free if you die during the horror chamber of blood and gore. Live on stage from Hollywood, California, see vampire people who come into the audience seeking fresh, warm human blood, plus Frankenstein in person, not on film. See the ethereal materialization of Liz Taylor as Cleopatra. Free spirit photo of Liz Taylor to the first 500 boys at the box office. Free ID bracelets to all girls who can take the shock 
of blood and gore. This is so terrifying that the management is giving a free two-for-one pass to everyone who does not run from the theater in fright. See unbelievable terror on stage. Not movies, every scene live. You must see to believe. See the horror chamber of blood and gore. Christopher, what insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but... There are so many. I wish there was a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. Oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something and review and discuss it. Well, that sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Why don't you click over to Orphan Entertainment and remind yourself a little more about the show? Oh, will do. Let's see, that's at OrphanEntertainment.com. And yeah, it looks like we're available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Oh, hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie someday? Mm-hmm, we'll see, Christopher. We'll see. When modern Navy scientists defy the unknown mysteries of the past, perpetuated by centuries of native belief, Then nature strikes in all its vengeance in. Baran, the unbelievable. For generations, the legend was passed on. They said Baran was there, deep in the still waters. They said, let Baran sleep. That lake water is going to be contaminated after we finish the tests. Probably affect the fish, too. We just can't take any chances. But those people have depended on their lake for their livelihood all their lives. And their parents before them. Anna, now should we be this concerned about a handful of people when we might perfect something that could benefit all mankind? Hmm? All right, Jim. But the Navy commander would not heed their warning. He moved forward, ever searching, ever probing, deeper and deeper, until it was too late. Baran rose from the depths slowly, unrelentingly to wreak its vengeance on a civilization that wanted to know too much. Tumultuous. Terrifying. So awesome it will shock you to the core. Buran, the unbelievable. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night Ah, I mean monster kids can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. 
I have more pressing issues to take care of. Like that pesky Van Helsing. I've got another voice to add to the mix. Somebody who's never been on the show before, but he's not a stranger to podcasts because he does his own. I'd like to welcome to Monster Kid Radio, Pete Quint. How you doing, man? Man, Derek, I am thrilled to be here. Uh, I've, I've listened to your show for such a very long time, and finally to get to talk to you in person is a great treat. Well, we're actually recording this before Monster Bash, but we're going to actually see each other at Monster Bash, right? Indeed. I'm coming up on Friday, mm-hmm. and I'm going to play with the Bash Boys. Really? On Friday night, yep, they've invited oh, wow. me to bring my trumpet, and I'm going to go toot my horn up on stage for a couple of songs, and uh, after that, I'm going to actually make my exit and see how far I can make it back home. <laughs> <laughs> I have a very busy Saturday, but that's neither here nor there. Gotcha. Well, that sounds great, man. Now, this episode actually won't be going out until after Monster Bash, so I'm sure it went incredibly well. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to meeting you, man. That's one of the best things about these conventions is you finally get to meet people that you've interacted with online and that's it maybe you've called into their podcast or or something like that but this will be the first time that i get to meet people like you and a handful of other people that are going to be there as well as well as a bunch of old friends it's going to be great i'm looking forward to it is this your first bash this is my first bash and i'm embarrassed to say it's only four hours away so there's there's been no reason except for the fact that i usually go to g fest which is only a couple of weeks later so it's been a balance of which one do I go to? And G-Fest is near and dear to my heart. And much like yourself, I've made lots of friends, kind of family members anymore out there at G-Fest. So I do look forward to going out there every year. And it just hasn't quite lined up with Monster Bash, but with my chance to go ahead and play up on stage with some fellas, it was a perfect chance for me to get out there. That's exciting. That's exciting. And G-Fest, for people who don't know, is basically... I've never been, so I don't know if it's fair to say, but it's Monster Bash for Kaiju Kids. It is a Godzilla and Kaiju-centric show. A lot more models, from what I understand. There is a whole room full of homemade models done by your average eight-year-old to your advanced person that's done them for film. Uh, They hold, much like any convention, will hold seminars. And you can go down and listen to these guys talk about resin kits and, and how to create your own from scratch. And it's astounding what artistry is is available there at, at G-Fest. Right on. One of these years, I'm going to get to that. I hear it's amazing. I listen to Kyle Yount's Kaiju Cast, and he always comes back with incredible reports about G-Fest. And the people they bring in, again, it's just like Monster Batch. They bring in celebrities from the Kaiju films. And to bring them all over from Japan, that's fantastic. And Man, I'm so jealous. <laughs> it's cool. We'll get you out there one of these years, I promise. Yeah, one of these years. One of these years. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, we're going to talk about kaiju here on the podcast. I'm excited to get into it. It's a, a unique kaiju film in that it really isn't part of the whole Godzilla franchise, kind of, sort of. Well. Uh, <laughs> does it have to be to be enjoyable? Absolutely it not. It does not. And mm-hmm. it's going to be a good time. But, you know, Pete. We're not going to miss out on playing the Classic Five with you. And chances are, at Monster Batch, I'm going to play it with you again because I make everybody stop and play it. But let's do it over the Let's get you warmed up here on the phone. What do you think? All right. Uh, oh, I got to stretch here. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> right on. So for listeners who don't know, and I really need to create a little bumper or singer that I can just hit play on so I don't have to say it all the time. <laughs> for listeners who don't know, the Classic Five is a card game that we play here on Monster Kid Radio. I've got a deck of cards, and each one of these cards has a this or that, which movie do you prefer style question. There are no wrong answers. We call it a game, but really it's a conversation starter. Pete, are you ready to play? 
I'm ready. Hit me. All right, here we go. Card number one. I'm purposely taking this from the kaiju deck. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite flying kaiju? Well, this is going to go against a lot of people. You know, you've got Mothra. My wife will tell you that that's hers. Okay. Uh, Rodan's pretty cool. I mm -hmm. think that might be your favorite. Love Rodan. But uh, I think my favorite is Megagirus. I think that design on Ooh. that bug is a heck of a design. It's creepy. It's scary. It, it might be a little cheesy for when it was released, but Megagirus is my favorite. Wow. I have not had anybody mention Megagirus here on the show. Uh, he appears in, uh, is it, well, Godzilla versus Megagirus. That was what? Yes. Uh, yes. That, Godzilla versus Megagirus. Mm -hmm. Is that Heisei era? That is technically the Millennium era. Millennium okay. era. Okay. And I know some people, there's kind of a movement to drop the title Heisei and call it something else because it really doesn't line up. But that's how I know it is a Heisei area. They're Showa Heisei and Millennium. Then I don't know what they're calling. This it's going to take days. a lot to get rid of the Heisei yeah. designation. <laughs> yeah. Huh. You know, I think I've only seen that once. Guess I'm going to have to watch it again. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, no. Darn. <laughs> <laughs> the only downside to that is that I've got so many other movies that I have to right. watch again. Darn. <laughs> All right, card number two. We'll pull this from the core deck. Here we go. What is your favorite big bug monster movie? Big bug monster movie. I, I'm not going to double up and say Megagirus. <laughs> hey, you know, it, it technically is. But a big man. Well, I guess I'll have to say them. Watch out for them. A menace never known to man or beast before. An endless horde of crawling, crushing, gigantic creatures. So horrifying, there was no word to describe them. Watch out for them. Watch out for Warner Brothers' screaming new shock sensation, them. Yes, I saw them. They were huge and scaly, and they had gigantic jaws, and, and then one came at me. Kill one, and two take its place. This is the endless onslaught of them clawing up out of the earth from mile-deep catacombs. See them. The most astounding journey into terror ever taken. Starring James Whitmore, Edmund Gwen, Joan Weldon, and James Arness. Them. That's a great film. I was trying to think of another kaiju connection I could do, but there really aren't a lot of just bugs that have their solo films. So I'll go with them because, man, that's a great film. It is. I mean, Mothra's technically a big bug, you know, big bug monster. Oh, boy, I dropped that ball, didn't I? <laughs> no, you know, hey, no, that's fine. We'll, we'll go with them. I love the trailer for them, and it gives me an excuse to play it. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to go back to the kaiju deck quite a bit here. Uh, card number three, question number three. What is your go-to film to introduce somebody to kaiju films? That's a great question because I just did it to my eight, oh, no, five-year-old oh, wow. nephew. You know, start him early, got to brainwash him, and I brought over Monster Zero. Monster Zero. Rodan and Godzilla join forces to destroy the deadly Monster Zero. In color, rated G, general audience from United Productions of America, a subsidiary of DEI Industries. So that's a great one. We're on the moon, so we get some space action. Uh, we've got three kaiju, Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah. And, of course, you've got Nick Adams. And you can never go wrong with Nick Adams. You never can. Listeners, if you take nothing away from this episode, that's what you need to take away. You can never <laughs> go wrong with my man, Nick Adams. 
Yeah. Unless you got John Agar available. But otherwise, you can never go wrong with Nick Adams. Well, that's a coin flip, man. <laughs> I should have that in the deck. Who do you prefer, John Agar or Nick Adams? Wow. This, I I'll know, right? Nick Adams. But yeah. yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, man. <laughs> I, and I think I've mentioned it on the show before. What I wouldn't give to see like a like a, a TV series with those two just going across the country on a road trip fighting monsters. That's, that's all I want. Oh, my gosh. That'd that would be amazing. That's brilliant. <laughs> man. Oh, it's... Uh, as if I need something else to write. Uh, anyway, <laughs> fourth card. We'll go back to uh, how are you on your Universal movies? Bring it. Okay. We'll go from the Universal deck. And uh, here we go. What is your favorite Karloff Lugosi Universal film collaboration? Oh, well, The Black Cat. Oh, man. That is genuinely terrifying. It is a scary, creepy, visceral film. And it's really, really one of my favorites. I think I just saw it recently, too. I, yeah. I want to say in the last five years or so from listening to you guys, I got to go check that one out. And I picked it up probably at the local library or something. And man, was that good. I was I was surprised how good it was. It's so dark and twisted and to come from the same company that makes things like the Wolfman or Creature from the Black Lagoon, which aren't that twisted, but still great. It's just crazy to think. And, and it's, it's so good. And since you're going to be at the bash, Gregory William Mank is an expert on that film. He's going to be there. He's one of the guests. He may even have a book about it at this point. I don't know if he does oh, or man. not, but <laughs> yeah, he, he is a black cat expert and scholar. And I believe he's even doing the commentary track on the upcoming Blu-ray release. Nice. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm on board for that one too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Indeed. All right. Final question. Final card. I'm going to go back to what we know and love here for you. We're going to go back to Kaiju, which Kaiju film would you like to see turned into a television series? Oh, uh, destroy all monsters. You could stretch that story out and do an episode on each of the monsters as they attack whatever city they've been programmed to attack. Yeah. Cause that is a worldwide Threat. I mean, they go after different parts of the world. Paris, yeah. Moscow, New York City. Yeah, I, I think that'd be really interesting to, to watch the monsters spread out over the earth and destroy these major cities. It'd be one heck of a budget, but man, it'd be worth it. <laughs> True. Our planet may be doomed. Our earth devastated. The monsters are in revolt and civilization is in chaos. Godzilla is laying waste to New York. Rodan is attacking Moscow. Manda is smashing London. And Peking trembles under the wrath of Mafra. Our battle cry must be destroy all monsters. Who can say which country or city will be next? We must unite and destroy all monsters. Is there a way to defend against Godzilla, Rodan, Manda, and Mafra? The answer is no. Let our battle cry be, destroy all monsters. Be prepared. See for yourself in color from American International. Destroy all monsters. Monster. 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 This picture is rated G for general audiences. Destroy all monsters. Monster. 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 That's awesome. All right. Well, hey, that was the classic five. You survived. Phew. Goodness. <laughs> I feel better. We were talking before we started recording, listeners. Pete was all nervous. Like, no, man, this is fun. I, I love it, man. I love doing this <laughs> with people. And, and we got to talk about Mega Gigaris, which I don't do enough, apparently. Right. So. <laughs> right on. All right. Well, I know I said there are no winners, but you did just win. And your prize is that you get to talk about Space Amoeba with me here on the podcast. Couldn't ask for a better award. Fantastic. Do not resist. You are powerless against me. Yon, 
monster from space. An irresistible, terrorizing monster. Before seen, fighting for control of planet Earth against the unconquerable. Yog, monster from space, rated G. Man, this one, it's an odd one. And I have to admit that I had not seen the whole thing all the way through prior to watching it this afternoon before we started recording. Really? So it is super fresh in my brain. I have seen bits and pieces of it over the years. But it's one of those ones that because it's not a straight up Godzilla movie, because it's not a straight up Gamera movie or whatever, it just kind of sat on the periphery for me. And I'd seen pieces of it. I'd seen most of the big monster stuff, but I really hadn't sat down to watch it start to finish and really dive into the story, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I don't recall when the DVD came out, but it's out of print anymore. So it's really hard to get a hold of. And until it hopped up on Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. that was pretty rare to get a hold of and i got lucky at a half price books here in in columbus and snatched a, a copy up got real lucky it cost a few bucks <laughs> but mm-hmm. but i with all the extras on it and the, the commentary the transfer is beautiful you get all those colors and and toho scope man it was it's really an enjoyable film i was going to ask you about the dvd release if you had it i watched it on prime and i'm on amazon right now and it looks like there's a $30 release of it right now, but that seems to be a lot. That's the going rate for a lot of these out-of-print Toho films, especially in the, in the Showa series. Yeah, so this one came out in 1970 in Japan, was released here in 71 uh, as, a, as the movie Yog, Yog, Monster from Space. And honestly, it was the title Yog that drew me to it the first time around when I started skipping through scenes and all that. Uh, because Yogg, Yogg-Sothoth, Lovecraft, you know, I started to see those connections. I was like, oh, I wonder if this has got anything to do with Lovecraft. And it really doesn't. But hey, Yogg. <laughs> the uh, the commentators, well, the man that was interviewed on the commentary was uh, Fumio Takata. Okay. He was one of the producers on this film. And he did say something that he thought that the reason it was called Yogg was it was a Lovecraftian uh, reference. Oh, okay. So... Somebody saw something in there that felt Lovecraft. Maybe it was just the tentacles. It's the tentacles. <laughs> <laughs> tentacles do not equal Lovecraft, but okay. You know, I that, that's my Lovecraft nerd coming out. Fair enough. We'll put him back in the corner. Okay. So this was the first time I'd watch it all the way through. When was the first time you saw this? When I picked it up, it wasn't yet on Prime when I picked up the DVD. So I think I got the DVD maybe four years ago. And yeah, I, I ate it up. I picked up a couple of rare ones from this particular bookstore that just happened to get a, a load in. And yeah, I ate these up pretty quick. I, I had never seen it until then either. So uh, it's a rare one. It, it is underappreciated in my opinion. That seems to be the case with a lot of the, uh, I'm going to call them standalone movies. Varan the Unbelievable is another one that is kind of a standalone, doesn't really get tied into the Godzilla mythos until much later. And even then, it's just an appearance and destroy all monsters, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which is kind of what happened with one of the monsters in this as well. But they're, they're kind of standalone. They don't have a tie to the grand Godzilla mythos, and they don't get a lot of attention. And I mean, obviously, I didn't even watch it until today. And I'm a huge Godzilla fan, you know? <laughs> so. Uh, but I'm always drawn to those. I love Varan. I love this one, too. This one was really unique, and I loved the story in it. That's what really 
captivated me and kept me watching. It is a space alien story, sort of, <laughs> where you get the creature from outer space coming down to planet Earth and taking over the bodies of what I would assume are regular sized creatures and enlarging them, embiggening them. Uh, <laughs> to to enormous sizes and then terrorizing a small village uh, in the South Pacific. Now the poster for the AIP release, you know, Yog, only really highlights the one monster, the tentacled one. True, but there are three giant monsters in this. You've got that tentacle cuttlefish-looking thing. What are the other two? Gezera is the tentacled cuttlefish. Kamiba is the turtle, and then we've got Ganyme as the crab. And Ganyme, I loved his design so much, his mouth even moved. That was really kind of gross. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked yeah. the monster design on all three. But the crab and the turtle, very cool. With the turtle with the neck. Yeah, that neck was powered by an air compressor. Oh, wow. So okay. turn it on, turn it off. It would it would shoot out like that. It was pretty fierce looking. I was, it was. I was very impressed with that. Uh, the first time the head started moving that way, it really, I, I had to stop and, and think, did I just see what I thought I saw? Because typically right. I'm not used to seeing the heads as articulated on the giant monsters from the Toho films or any of them really. So to see that was pretty cool. But the crab takes the cake. Oh, he was great. Or the crab cake. Ah, bad joke. Anyway, oh, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he looked he looked wonderful. Well, I'll tell you that uh, Haro Nakajima, mm -hmm. who played Godzilla for the entirety of the Showa era, the original era of these Godzilla films, played both Gezera and Kamiba. Oh, okay. Uh, so he was in there. And I also thought that Kamiba had a really interesting... You couldn't see that there was a person on all fours. If you just kind of glance at Anguirus, he's running around on all fours. He really is. Whereas the shell laid far enough down onto the ground or near the floor where it hit his knees and all you could see were sort of his feet. So I thought that was a, a nice suspension of reality there. I also really appreciate that they tried to change the humanoid form a little bit through the costume. Uh, like you said, in Gears, it's real obvious. There's a guy running around on his hands and knees. And even the way the monster is positioned in a lot of artwork, it's clear he's on his hands and knees, which... Okay, that's fine. Do what you got to do. But when you do something like this, and I think my favorite monster that, that's done this, it kind of changes the human shape a little bit, is Legion uh, from oh, yeah. the second Gamma film from the 90s, which is oh, mm, man. so good. Well, there uh, were two people in that. Right, exactly. So <laughs> you totally change the shape of what's inside. It helps you take that extra step to accept or to, to be wowed, I guess, by the unreality of it. And I really appreciated that. Uh, the, the crab is amazing in this. Really wonderfully detailed. I totally believed it was a crab. It, it looked like a thing. It was great. Yeah. I couldn't see the extra legs. And when it would move past you, all the legs moved to a degree. So it, it was, yeah, it had me fooled. Yeah, it was really well done. Really well done. Uh, but I keep going back to the story, too, the overall story. And I like that there seem to be a couple of different things at play here. You've got uh, a photographer who is not believed about seeing a space probe crashing. You've got hotel development stuff going on. You've got somebody who claims to be an anthropologist, but not really. You've got natives. You've got fishermen who shouldn't be fishing. You've got all these different <laughs> things happening and coming together. And they eventually you all do kind of collide and meld into one really cool kind of, like you said, space invasion or space enslavement kind of story. And 
I think because I'm editing the Plan 9 from Outer Space podcast right now, I'm really keyed into this whole aliens come down to Earth and try to take it over through some really bizarre means. Yeah, and you can even throw a little bit of spy in there as yeah. uh, Akira Kubo was uh, stealing plans from the, what was it, the uh, the submarine restaurant, was it? <laughs> or submarine hotel? Yeah, the submarine hotel, yeah. That's what it was, yeah. <laughs> so he was the corporate espionage to a certain degree. Yeah, they, they really packed a lot in here. It's heavy. It's, it's a lot to chew on from start to finish. It doesn't let up. There's no wasted time, not a wasted shot in this entire film. There's either good clippy dialogue or monsters. <laughs> and sometimes a little bit of both, which is great. Right. <laughs> exactly. As the story went, though, I, I one of my favorite things about this film is that the the humans are actually able to fend off and actually kill kaiju for once. Normally, it's just the army throwing bombs and rockets at them and it's bouncing off. And, you know, I like that well enough. But this was so very unique where the humans were able to defend themselves and using their wits and their uh, surroundings and uh, lucky stash of World War II armament uh, <laughs> were able to defeat. Well, they, they blew up one crab and they, they fried Gezera. <laughs> they burned him. Now that you say that, I don't think I really remember seeing that in a lot of the the kaiju films of this era in particular. You know, the very first Godzilla, yeah, there's the guy that drops the oxygen destroyer and takes it out. That's fine. Spoiler. But for the most part, yeah, we just throw a bunch of stuff at them and they either go back into the sea until next time or they get frozen until next time. Volcano opens up and eats them. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just a handful of guys figuring out how to do it. And this is a very small group of people that figure out how to do it. And I really like that. Now that you say that, yeah, that's fascinating. It was a ball. And it also showed the strength of humans at the very end as Kubo was able to overcome his enslavement his, his possession uh with the strength of his, his own humanity so that was a really unique how the story was told and humans weren't uh, the the human aspects of this story they weren't helpless they were integral they they won the day they seized it and they actually were able to defeat this these creatures yeah uh they they burn the one like you said and they figure out what the one weakness is of <laughs> right. the space and which Okay, hey, whatever works. And did the filmmakers behind Godzilla King of the Monsters take some inspiration from this regarding how to control or fight kaiju? Oh, I don't know. I think in Godzilla <laughs> Returns, 1984, there was a scene where Godzilla was affected by birds chirping so and would kind of follow the birds. I, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on that right now. But yeah, they, these uh, these monsters were... Defeated by echolocation. <laughs> yeah, audio, which, one, is kind of brilliant, kind of neat, kind of interesting. And two, you can show that without having to spend any money on special effects. Because it's sound. <laughs> so they can keep oh, the cost down. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. Ouch. <laughs> right? Right? They maybe throw some bats in there and have them do their thing, which they did throw right. in a bunch of bats here. They threw in a bunch of bats and, and a few purposes for... Yeah, for good measure. Yeah, yeah, a little variety, you know. <laughs> Couldn't just be bats. But I, I liked that, too, that they figured out how to use the bats and to protect themselves or use the bats to uh, go after them. I, I really, wow, 
Man, the humans are really smart in this, aren't they? <laughs> they are. They are. They're not. They're not dumb. They, they're, they're more than just set pieces. They're 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 an actual part of this monster story, which is again, I think, unique in the kaiju ega. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, you keep talking about Kubo, and when he first came on the screen, he was my least favorite character. I was so annoyed by him laughing all the time, and I know I <laughs> laugh all the time here on the podcast, listeners. If you would hear, if you hear the amount of laughter I always cut out of the show because I'm having such a good time and laughing the whole way through, you would have turned this thing off 200 episodes ago. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Kubo, he like ends every sentence with a laugh, and it's not a nice, pleasant laugh. And I don't know if some of this comes across because it's a dub, but it's a really annoying kind of, you really want to wipe that off his face kind of laugh. He's a, he's a smug, slimy yeah. guy from the start. He's got a white suit and a pink shirt <laughs> and these rose colored glasses and this terrible beard. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's, he's a slimy and he's, he's really playing out of character because the actor Akira Kubo really usually plays a, Straight tied, handsome lead actor. He was the lead in Destroy All Monsters, as a matter of fact. And this is way out of, I wouldn't say way, he's played a bad guy occasionally, but this is a little out of character for him uh, to play. And it was a lot of fun to see. Yeah, he did uh, Destroy All Monsters. He was in Matongo, which I adore. Uh, did a handful of other movies as well. Son of Godzilla, uh, Astro Monster. I mean, he did a handful of those as well. Uh, and he, I think, turned up in one of the uh, 90s camera films, didn't he? Oh, you might be right. There were a lot of cameos that I missed in some of those. So yeah. <laughs> I'll have to go back and look. Oh, darn. I got to go watch them again. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I need to set myself up on a schedule. You know, on Monday, I watch all the Universal Monster movies again. On Tuesday, I do all the Kaiju movies again. On what You know, just go through them all because, man, they're just so much fun. And I enjoy even movies that I'm just now discovering in full for the first time. I get this this instant sense of warm nostalgia for something that I'm just now seeing for the first time, but I, I feel like I'm so keyed into the aesthetic of, especially this era of Toho that it just warms me. And it just, I mean, I, I can't help but grin while watching the thing. Yeah. No kidding. I didn't realize that we made a faux pas. Uh Oh, uh, Kubo is the actor's name and Kudo is the character's name. Okay. Okay. So Kenji Sahara plays, uh, Kubo, Kudo, excuse me. <laughs> oh my goodness, I get this all backwards here. Akira Kubo played Taro Kudo, the right. photographer. Kenji Sahara played the pink-shirted man. Hmm. Gotcha. Gonna fix that. <laughs> so we we were talking specifically about the slimy guy when we were talking about Kudo. It's Kubo. Yeah, I think listeners will forgive us, especially me, because I don't know a lot of these actors and actresses and can barely pronounce their names because they're Japanese. Right. I so, got it all backwards. No, so the no, slimy the slimy guy in the pink shirt is Obata, played by Kenji Sahara, and Akira Kubo plays Taro Kudo, our intrepid photographer who finds Helio Seven um, falling out of the sky. Now, what did you think of the photographer? Um. <laughs> he's a money grabber he, he follows the money i mm -hmm. mean i would do that for a million bucks oh but maybe i will do it for a million bucks and uh he likes to talk about money uh he also thinks he's better than most of the folks i also think he's conveniently skilled in lots of different things like shooting guns and being a scuba diver <laughs> he's not only a photographer he's a lot of other things yeah which something I was going to ask you about, because that seemed to be very um, 
you know, he's our everyman hero, I guess, who can do yeah. everything. So you yeah. don't need every man. You just need him. Yeah, pretty much. That's that's how I he was. Yeah. If, if you needed something done and it didn't fit one of the actresses or the, the, the doctor, let's let's give it to the adventurer, dude. <laughs> The adventurer dude. I like it. You, I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you'd say that in Japanese, but I, I like it. That's what we'll call him. The adventurer dude uh, who can take photo- take photographs and do everything else. And yeah, well, you know, it's a nice mix. So we've got him. We've got, you know, the doctor. We've got the, the, the young woman who's there. And what is her role? Like, what does she do? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, is it- she was at the very beginning. She was upset that she wasn't introduced to kudo right, the, photographer. the photographer i think she is part of the company that wants to put a hotel on that island yeah so she's a promoter or something like that she's an organizer she's a representative of the front office trying to develop the island she's somehow involved with the company involved with that and that comes up at the beginning and a little bit when uh they call out the guy for stealing the plans for the submarine hotel but that's about it she doesn't really contribute too much well, she's got that beautiful smile. Well, yeah. Atsuko Takahashi is her name. And she was also in Destroy All Monsters. We, we might as well just cover Destroy All Monsters while we're at it. <laughs> I think I already have. But you know what? That movie's <laughs> so good. We can talk about it many, many other times. I, a TV series is what I, I see in development, I hear. So, you know. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> she's fun to watch. She's a good actress. I just feel like she didn't get a lot to do. No, once things she also started to go. a damsel in distress, which I also thought was, a, was, was good. And that's again, a really good point. Uh, you know, this is 1970. So we're hopefully kind of getting away at this point from the, you know, we just kind of freak out and get scared and, and cower because we're a little girl in a movie like this. No, she doesn't totally freak out. She doesn't lose complete agency, but I feel like she does kind of fade to the background a little bit as the movie continues. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I get it. I I see both sides of that for sure. Uh, but the sleaze ball, he's the one to watch. <laughs> I mean, granted, his laugh irritated me, but I feel like once we figure out what his real deal is, it's kind of a nervous laughter. I can kind of retroactively attribute that to, and I think so. Yeah, I'm okay with it. That would make sense. And that guy's that is Kenji Sahara, and I think he's been in more Godzilla films than anybody else has. He's he's got it. He's a legendary actor in this genre. Oh yeah. And if you just, not just Godzilla, I mean, he did a ton of ultra Q ultra oh, man. Yeah. Uh, he did just a ton of stuff. Uh, as well as a lot of non Tokusatsu projects as well. Mm-hmm. That was a time when Toho had the production crews at the, uh, they had the contract, uh, actors and actresses. They, uh, this, as a matter of fact, I think this is the last film Toho did under the contract system. Well, that's pretty much like the studio system was here in the States, uh, in Correct. early Hollywood, where you just signed on to the studio and they controlled what you did. And they needed somebody to play a sleazy <laughs> uh, yeah. corporate spy type guy with a white suit and matching white shoes. You got the job and you were told to do it whether you wanted to or not. Yeah, these guys punched a clock. So they came in and they got their assignments in the morning and they went out. And mm-hmm. that's why they cranked out all these movies uh, during the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Oh, it's, it's job security. So certainly. Yeah, so good for them. Now, I think you're right. This is the last film to be made under that system with Doho. I think this is also the first film to be done without Subaraya. Is that right? Yeah, Subaraya passed away in January of 1970. And this 
came out in April. Okay. And I don't think Superai at that point had uh, opened up his own Superai Studios or yeah, I think that's what it's called, Superai. And he wasn't under the Toho. I think he was a contractor at that point for Toho, not necessarily a Toho employee any longer. Okay. And, uh, and for listeners yeah. who don't know, I mean, Subaraya. A.G. Subaraya, uh, the master of monsters, he created these types of movies. Uh, they didn't know what they were doing back in 1954. They figured it out, and this is the guy that did it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Subaraya is a master. He would go on to do the Ultraman show, you know, get that started, get that whole franchise up and running as well. Now, I'm taking some of this from the Internet Movie Database, and I, and I don't want to be the podcast that just reads the IMDb and says, hey, and that's the movie. But when I, when I look <laughs> at the trivia page here, it does talk a little bit about him passing away before this was produced so he couldn't be involved. But that at some point, somebody, maybe it was an actor or director, I, I don't remember who, was upset that Toho didn't put some sort of in memorial to him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Ishiro Honda, the director of this film and many of the Godzilla films, was not happy that Toho decided not to put a memorial into the film credits for A.G. Tsuburaya. Uh, and I don't know if that was Toho being slighted or being a jerk about, you know, you left us, then we don't need to recognize you anymore, or if it just didn't quite fit. So that that's unclear to me, but I know Ishiro Honda wasn't happy that that he wasn't given a a mention in this film that's unfortunate too because they did still have a decent relationship when ultra q started they used modified godzilla suits in that oh yeah so there was still (laughs) some connection there still some relationship but yeah it's unfortunate i mean i think if that happened today you would see something like that well heck the end credits of godzilla king of the monsters the new one had uh, a little tribute at the very end to uh nakajima so, I mean, you see that now. And then, of course, you know, what happened with Stan Lee and Ant-Man and the Wasp having that beautiful tribute at the beginning of that to him. I, I think we'd probably see something like that now. But back then, was Tsuburaya even a known name at that point? I, I don't know. You know, or, or these crew people kind of in the background are not really talked about the way they could be talked about now with things like the Internet. I Well, without the Internet, he wasn't nearly as well known as he could be. But I'm sure in these circles, he was... More than well-known. I'd be safe to say probably without him, we wouldn't have this uh, particular... What did you call it? Ija? Iga? Iga. Kaiju Iga. Kaiju film. Kaiju genre at that. Another fancy word I'm going to have to learn how to say. Fancy. (laughs) (laughs) I just say tokusatsu, which has more syllables, so you think I'd be okay, but... Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes just wrapping the tongue around the word and, you know, with your inability to roll your R's, you might have a rougher time than some others. I, I really need to sit down with Dominique someday <laughs> and just, just have her show me how to pronounce some of these things. One of these days, Dominique. Are you listening? <laughs> One of these days. <laughs> sit him down, Dominique. There you go. So even though Subaraya wasn't here, it still felt Subaraya enough to feel like it fits in this era. There is uh, another very familiar element in this movie, though, that I got to talk about. Because I'm a film score guy, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. The music. No, no. No blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Shout it to the mountains. I love my film scores. Kira Fukube. Yes. Oh, my goodness. No, no one can do a score like he can. No. Uh, Kira Fukube is just the man. Created the Godzilla March. Created the Godzilla Scream, from what I understand, with the, with the resin and the whatever. 
Jasafuka Bain is amazing, and his music is pretty much synonymous with these things. It's not all he did, of course. He did other things as well, but I think we know him as Monster Kids, as the guy who gave Godzilla his sound. We are going to attend a concert this year at G-Fest where they're bringing back a bunch of... They're, they're doing a whole concert for uh, Akira Fukabe. Just his music, just his Godzilla music. Really looking forward to that on Saturday night. Oh, man. Is that, uh, is that uh, DeSantis that's putting that together? He's putting it together, but I don't think he's directing this time. Okay. But that's We're not real sure who's directing it. It might be DeSantis. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's John, right? John's his first name? John DeSantis. Yeah, John DeSantis. Yep. He's done some successful Kickstarters over the years as well to do uh, CD recordings of these performances at G-Fest and mastering them and make them sound pretty. And I've been involved in a couple of those. I don't think I got the last one. I didn't get in on time, unfortunately. Uh, but what I've heard is gorgeous. Yeah, it's. I'm really looking forward to it. I can't yeah, wait. It's going to be a good time for you, man. Rub it in a little bit more. Yeah, a little bit more, yeah. I'll call you. Oh, oh even better. <laughs> even better. <laughs> That's cool, though. That The music is just iconic. You've got to have it. When you hear that music, you know what you're in for. And a lot of his music does have similar themes, and, and you can get the same vibe off a lot of it. But there are enough subtle differences, especially in this one, in the opening credit sequence, you know you're in for something different. Yeah, the opening credits are a complete departure from what he normally does. I was taken aback the first time I heard it. I was like, what am I what am I listening to? But then you get into the meat of the movie and it just rolls into those old soft slippers that you have of Akira Fukabe music. And there are similar themes throughout the films, but so does John Williams, so does Danny Elfman. They all John Barry, they all have similar callbacks to other scores that they've done I, there's not a problem that that no not me. at all i mean the, the big ones they all have a particular sound you can pick out a hans zimmer score you can really pick out a downy elf yeah. score especially if it's a tim burton film you, you can really pick mm-hmm. out some of these things i mean john williams i don't want to say the word guilty because that implies something else but they're all guilty of it they take inspiration from others and themselves mm-hmm. go for mm-hmm. it the score in this, I don't know if it's available uh, as a standalone release somewhere. It might be over in Japan. I've got to get it. Uh, just so good. <laughs> I, I haven't seen a, a standalone for it, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Since I'm recording <laughs> with you on the internet, I can go on the internet and look real quick. Yeah, right. Because, you know, my wallet needs well, that. While you're looking, <laughs> here's a little tidbit mm-hmm. for you. So Yukiko Kobayashi, who played the island girl. Okay. You just recently did a podcast on the vampire mm-hmm. trilogy. She was the vampire in the blood sucking doll or the vampire doll. Oh, okay. So there's a little, little cross reference for you. Right. That on. Yeah. <laughs> so it looks like at one point this was released on CD uh, in Japan. <laughs> of course. Because, but you know, I'm not in a position to do it right now. But a while back, I was buying a lot of CDs from Amazon Japan, the Ultraman scores. Not overly expensive, really, for what they are. So oh. something, something to add to the old wish list. Right. <laughs> <Throw> that on. <laughs> it just keeps getting longer and longer. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That it does, sir. That it does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still just taken by the monster design. And yeah, I know the people that did it worked with Subaraya. I mean, they weren't brand new to what Toho was doing, 
But I do feel like they did step it up a little bit, especially with the other, the final two monsters. The cuttlefish looks cool, but when you do a lot of close-ups of his eyes, and you can tell they're just kind of painted on. It's a little tough. Yeah, the lights didn't work the whole time. Right. And I, I read somewhere that the eyes were supposed to move, but whatever mechanism busted and they weren't able to use it at all. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought that uh, when Ganymede's eyes were shot out, that was pretty gross. <laughs> that was a little bit of gore for you in these movies that we don't see a lot of gore in <laughs> this movie is a little more visceral than some uh-huh. of the other ones um when they set the cuttlefish on fire <laughs> yeah he's got burns all over him and you and you know they took that costume apart and actually burned it somehow if you're lucky they let the actor get out of the suit first <laughs> right now, sometimes they just the yeah I mean, sometimes they just threw stuff at the guy and whatever but yeah <laughs> Hopefully they let him out at that point. <laughs> no OSHA at that point. So. <laughs> right? <laughs> who, who knows? <laughs> I was a little disappointed to see him die, though. I, You know, the tentacle being Lovecraft or not, I like tentacled monsters. So I was a little disappointed to see him go. I've heard people complain how cheesy it looks that he's that you can see his legs under there. Man, I thought that was pretty darn good for 1970, where you've got what was it like eight or 10 legs or so? And you know, two of them are shuffling along. And as you're shuffling along, you're sort of kicking the other legs and they're sort of all kind of moving along too. Yeah. And I thought that was fun. Yeah. I didn't have a problem with that at all either. I, you know, when I do go back to rewatch this, cause you know, I will, I'll be paying closer attention to the leg work, you know, the costume work, the, the, the suitmation, uh, just to kind of see if I can pick up on some of these things that people seem to complain about, but I didn't have any issues you know, this time around sitting there and actually watching it for the show. I feel bad for these people that complain about these movies. You know, (laughs) in the circles that I travel in and and the kind of movies that I'm into, I'm the guy that watches Manos the Hands of Faith straight and I smile (laughs) about it. You know, I love all these movies and yeah, maybe there's some ineptitude in some of them named Manos, but you know, (laughs) sometimes I just let that go. I just, let them kind of wash over me. And if they give me a smile at some point during the runtime, the movie's a win. It's all about enjoying it, man. Yeah. If you can't enjoy it, then find something else you like. So get a new hobby. Yeah. (laughs) I got to say, this is probably one of my favorite non Godzilla Kaiju films. Having watched it now. It's way up there for me. I love the Island theme where it's just kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It is easily one of my favorite ones. It's, it's usually in the DVD player. Just, I wouldn't say it's on repeat, but it gets played more often than not. I wonder if it's ever been released on Blu-ray or anything overseas. I don't think so. And I'm not sure with Criterion picking up oh, a yeah. lot of the Showa Godzilla films. Because I know you can watch all or most of the Showa Godzilla films on Criterion channel now. But I don't know if they're going to pick up other things like Matango and Latitude Zero and Atragon and Varan and... Space Amoeba. Yeah. It'd be nice. It'd be really nice. I don't show any record of it being available on blue. I only show the two DVD releases, one here in the States and then one over in Germany. That's it. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see the title for that one. Oh, I wonder. Yeah. <laughs> the German titles are always the best. It's always Frankenstein something. I was going to say, they probably have Frankenstein in the title somewhere, right? <laughs> that tends to be what they do. Um, uh-huh. If it's big, it's called Frankenstein. If it's a monster, it's Frankenstein, (laughs) whether it's Frankenstein or not. 
Uh, let's see. I'm looking at the cover of the German release right now, and I can't pronounce German either, so oh. I, I don't see the word Frankenstein on it, but I do see the words King Kong. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's the other one I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw a po- oh, Gosh, what I see was a Godzilla poster, and it said Frankenstein versus King Kong, and it was like Godzilla versus Geigen or something like that. It was bonkers. Wow. Yeah, I'll have to look that one up and send it to you. <laughs> wow, that I would be really disappointed if I stumbled across that and bought that just on that title alone. <laughs> well, and the, the title of this one, Space Amoeba. Now, we, we know what an amoeba is. It's a single-celled organism, small, very, very small form of life. Uh, I learned, You learn about that in science class in school. Uh-huh. This really didn't seem to be that, but I didn't have a problem with it. But it's from space, so who knows what it's like. It's, oh, uh, okay. It's like a space pirate. He might have two heads. It's like a <laughs> space restaurant. It might not have a bathroom. I don't know. <laughs> well, okay then. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I did like how the space amoeba, this this alien presence, transfers from like the corpse or a body part of something into something else. I did like that moment as well, and I loved it when our sleazy corporate spy got taken over uh, <laughs> just it was a neat little sequence and of course after that you never see him with his glasses on again and he's got the dark circles under his eyes and a little bit of funky lighting to show that oh something's not quite right you know yeah and our photographer of course suspects him from the beginning but i think he suspected him before all that too you know the, the side eye he gives him through the entire film yeah they, they were keeping an eye on him through the whole thing and he did get caught but yeah Turned out to be a good guy at the end. Yeah, he does have a tendency to just invite himself along to things. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll go along with you guys. You don't mind, do you? I'll just I'll just sit here with you. Oh, okay. right. Yeah, you know, I guess I'm staying here tonight. And then I even get the impression that when he was in the cave, and this is after the amoeba's taken him over, but I even get the impression when he shows up, they're like, "Oh, where have you been? You survived, great." And he just kind of goes into the cave and lays down. That he just laid down in somebody else's bed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he doesn't say it boo to anybody. Yeah. Just plop right down onto whatever mattress that was and there's a guy's like they didn't cut right then you feel like you'd say hey you're that that's mine but no yeah he just kind of walks in the waist down and that's that <laughs> good performances so man i mean to get that kind of emotion out of us as viewers how many years later now almost 50 years oh. later watching this movie i i always like it that toho the the actors took their job seriously and they they played it straight they they didn't ham it up they presented comedy for a little bit of comedy. I would say they injected humor into the films and didn't try to tell jokes. And I really appreciate that kind of storytelling rather than waka waka. Here's a joke to go along with some monsters. I appreciate it much more. Waka waka. Waka waka, you know. Now now I want a kaiju sized Fozzie bear running around. (laughs) I'm down for that. Yeah, why not? Toho make it happen. Toho, well, they'd have to collaborate with Disney on that. I don't know if that would work, but. Geek. Let's let's not let Disney buy anything else, please. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do like that too. I and mean, you were talking about Nick Adams. I mean, he always did that in his movies. I feel like sometimes John Agar, even though he did his absolute best and never really kind of talked down to the material, he kind of knew in some of his films, his genre films that okay, I know, but I'm still going to do my best. But yeah, I know what I'm doing. I know what kind of movie this is. I don't feel like Nick Adams did that in the two kaiju films that he did. No, Nick Adams gave it his all. And that over-the-top kind of acting is exactly what the Japanese enjoy. Or at least at that point they did. That that kind of intense 
listen to me now here <laughs> sort of the way he would speak and inflect that's that was that kind of a very japanese way to act yeah unlike russ damblin who just was kind of sleepy through the entire world of gargantuas <sighs> we're just talking about russ damblin with uh, steve turek earlier today yeah um yeah Let's just leave it at that uh <laughs> <laughs> definitely not nick adams no, yeah. no. Nick Adams would have been so much better in that movie. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. Nick Adams would make any movie better, though, whether it's a great I movie agree. or not. <laughs> Put him in Avengers. That'd be awesome. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now I want somebody to recut the trailer for Avengers Infinity War or uh, Endgame <laughs> and put some Nick Adams in there. So your classic five needs to have a new question. Okay. What? five classic actors needs to be in the new Avengers film. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, what? I'm going to take, I like that. I like that a lot. And uh, let's see. So we'll say, let's see, probably write it a little bit. Uh, what five classic actors or actresses you want to see in the next superhero team up movie or whatever, you know, just so we don't have to deal with Marvel or whatever. Um, but yeah, of course, Nick Adams would be on the team. Well, yeah. And, and, and you got to have some John Agar. Cause I think those two are just and Agar and, Cushing and oh, yeah. could see. I wasn't even going to the hammer side of things, but yeah, Cushing, man, darn right, I'm going to hammer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we need some Cushing. We oh, some then you Cushing. have to, another card about the villains. Now, who's going to be their villain? Oh, wow, like the villain team. Oh, we're, we're getting off track. <laughs> no, but this is fun. this is what it's about, though, right? This exactly. is what happens on, and this happens at Monster Bash. We sit down to talk about the movie we just saw in the conference room, and two hours later, we're talking about something totally different. But it doesn't matter because we're all having a great time. I'm sure it happens at G Fest too. Oh gosh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, from what I hear from like Mark Matsky or, or like I said, Kyle Yount, that it's just an amazing time, and conversations just go on and on and on about everything and anything, and it doesn't stop. It's just a free flow. It just yep keeps going <laughs> yeah yeah so if you had to pick one classic actor or actress from the toho side of things to be on the team this five person hero team who would you pick i would have to be kumi mizuno she's my girlfriend really okay i have a she is my heartthrob i i thoroughly enjoy her and her acting and all sorts of other things <laughs> all right all right so kumi is to you as julie is to me i got it yes okay. yes all right though i like mia hama as well she's another one of my favorites uh king kong escapes oh man i love that movie yeah yeah so anyway yes i'll go with uh, mizuno and if you had to pick somebody from the toho side of things to be on the villain team who would you pick well we already have a villain in caesar romero who was in latitude zero as a marvelous scientist (laughs) (laughs) okay but we could do a kira takarada who is my wife's boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> he could play everything. He played villains. He played heroes. He's still with us today. He'll be at G-Fest this year, as a matter of fact. Fantastic. Nice. I, I think I would go with somebody like, uh, I'm going to mispronounce it, Hideo Amamato? Hideo? Hideo Amamato. He played Doctor Who in King Kong Escapes. Oh, he's good. I like him a lot. He's real good, yeah. yeah. Good choice. But now my mind is blown, this whole John Agar, Nick Adams, Peter <laughs> Cushing team up. Unstoppable. This is when I wish that I could draw as much as I write because I would be doing up so many amazing fan art posters of this. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to put that in the deck, man. I hope I have your permission, but I'm going to make that part of the new deck. That Please. 
Please Unfortunately, do. I won't have a new deck at the Monster Bash. I'll have the, the same deck that I've been using. But uh, when there is a, a new deck, um, I'm going to put that in there because that's that's a good one. That's like the, the daddy yeah. of them all right there. So you have to go through five of them. That's great. Fantastic. Yeah, that's cool. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Well, that's cool. Well, okay. So to get back to Space Amoeba. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that what we're talking about? I forgot. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what else is there to say about the film? I, I mean, I think people need to see it, and it's available on streaming, so it's it's easier to get your hands on these days, or at least to watch. Yeah, that's the best thing. It's it's on streaming, and just go see it. It is silly. It is fun. It's got beautiful giant monsters, and you're, you're right. These are really quality costumes. Yeah. High they quality. are really good. Yeah, they're really, really good. You know, and if you did like the one episode that I did of one of the Toho vampire films, same writer whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce. Oh, O-T, O, T. Uh, Ogawa. Yes, something Ogawa. And yeah. it's slipping my mind right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and he wrote those three. In fact, if I'm reading his credit list correctly, this may have been his only Kaiju film. Could have been. Could have been. I'm not up on my writers much, but uh, yeah, that, that sounds like it could very well be. And I think it shows because it is such a unique take on what we can do with giant monsters. It really is. The kind of stories we can tell. So I'm, I really dug it, man. Uh, you know, people need to see it. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend listening to it. The score is phenomenal. I would love to see it in its original language with subtitles. The only way I've been able to track it down is dubbed which is how it's on Amazon. We'll have to work that out somehow. We'll have to find it somehow. Uh-huh. It's got to be out there somewhere. Somebody's got to have it, right? Exactly. Maybe. Something, maybe. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> uh, and just to briefly kind of talk about the Godzilla connection, uh, I think one of them turns up in Final Wars, doesn't he? So Kamiba shows up in Tokyo SOS. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and that's the turtle, The right? turtle shows up in, S- in Tokyo SOS. Okay, and I think that that was even kind of referenced kind of sort of in the first legendary Godzilla because there's a dead turtle they find as well. And it's like, well, maybe this is a callback. I don't know. You know, I think you're right. I, I could though. be reaching. Uh, I think Gezra shows up at the very beginning of Final Wars in a like a montage where they're talking about here's a bunch of monsters that have attacked the world and we've been able to send them back. I think it's at the very beginning of that. Just a quick clip of him running <laughs> final wars had pretty much every one of them darn near yeah up until that point yeah just as a small cameo even the 98 film had its representation in that what are your th- what's your thoughts on final wars well it was a it was a lot of fun to watch don fry's a hoot isn't he great oh man is he good he was at g-fest last year and what a what a character my goodness oh man um, i'd love to meet him i'd love to meet him as much as i like the human side of the story that really started to drag a little bit. And there were some continuity errors that kind of took me a little out of it, but the final battle was something I hadn't seen since the Gamera films. That final battle was astounding with Mothra, Godzilla and Kaiser Ghidorah. So good. That was such a good fight. Okay. Final war seems to people either really hate it or just like, Oh, it's okay. You know, I've, I've never really heard kind of a, yeah, I okay. loved it. Yeah, yeah. I'm on the yeah. okay side. It's I'm okay. okay with it. I didn't hate it. All the monster designs were great. I, I think most of the costumes were brand new. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to see them all. It's I'm in the, yeah, it's okay. Camp as well. So, 
Yeah, but you mentioned Don Fry. Now I want to see Don Fry and Robert Scott Field in a buddy series going across oh the country my fighting gosh. monsters. They're all the <laughs> Avengers for sure. <laughs> you gotta have oh. Don Fry, the Hulk, and well, gosh, Robert Scott. <laughs> oh wow, almost as big as the Hulk anymore. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. And Robert Scott Field was in uh, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, uh, the Heisei era. And uh, he's just—he's a hoot, man. I follow him on Facebook. I think we're friends on Facebook. He's just a, a cool guy. Yeah, he's a totally cool guy. Well, you're on Facebook. That's actually how we communicate. Yeah, you like that segue? I didn't even plan that one. Well done. Uh, you're on Facebook. Does your podcast have a Facebook presence? Yes, it does. It's Good Beer, Bad Movie Night. Okay. Uh, you can just go straight there and find all the episodes. Uh, we also have GoodBeerBadMovieNight.com. Okay. Uh, that's that's where all the shows are stored and they'll be there first and get distributed out to the pod catchers after that this is how i know we're going to be friends pete because i just went to the good beer bad movie night facebook page and the profile picture is an image from the movie poster for transylvania 65000 <laughs> and i have such warm memories about that film i haven't watched it in years i'm kind of afraid to because i loved it when i was a kid just say that <laughs> well we we did an episode on that and there was some there, we had a lot of fun with it how about that <laughs> <laughs> sounds good sounds good and how often does your show come out once a month first of every month yep and you had a good friend of the show christopher page on at least one episode you said yeah christopher page came on uh just this last month i think yeah for, okay. uh, yeah we just released it on the 1st of June, and he was on for Godzilla versus uh, Ghidra, the three-headed monster. Uh, we were doing kind of a lead-up to King of Monsters, so we did uh, two quick episodes. We did one with Christopher Page, and then right after we got out of the movie, we did a quick uplink on another show. So those are the last two that we did. We're not always giant monster-centric at the, on the show. Yeah, hey, you know, man cannot live on... Okay, well, I can't live on monster movies alone, but I, I understand. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> totally get it and uh, like i said at this point this episode will be coming out after the bash but i'm sure we had a great time man i had such a good time at the bash derek we gotta do it again next year yeah well <laughs> it's been a struggle this year to get me there so we'll see i know i know we'll see <laughs> we'll It'll see happen. we'll see uh, um, we'll see well this has been awesome i love chatting with new people and just kind of getting their take on things and mega gears man i gotta go back and watch that now How about that <laughs> yeah bring something like new need, to the table like i need one more thing to do mm, I, I get it i get it <laughs> yeah you need to finish uh your 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 next book so put, uh, put mega gears aside and finish that next book reward myself with mega gears maybe yeah so finish the next collection then watch mega gears exactly i can live with that yeah <laughs> i can live with that but here in a few months, when I send you a message, it just says, I rewatch Mega Gears. You know what I'm talking about. Ooh. We'll peek behind the curtain. I like it. Yeah, I'll, I'll commit to that right here and now on the show. <laughs> there we go. It's out there now. It's out there. I, people hold me to it. You're going to Facebook post, just saw Mega Gears, and everybody's going to go, what? <laughs> there you go. I like that. That's perfect. Well, Pete, uh, once again, thanks for doing this. Uh, we'll be in touch, I'm sure. And let's have you back on down the line. Talk about another kaiju film or anything else, really. Any other movie uh, that, that fits in this monster wheelhouse that we've got going on over here. I love it. it. This was so much fun. Thanks very much, Derek. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you.
And I'll end on that. And that was awesome. <laughs> Goodbeerbadmovienight.com. Of course, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Pete, thank you for doing the show. Now, listeners, I recorded that conversation with Pete a long time ago, many months ago, in fact. And Monster Bash has come and gone. And I've even talked about another film in the Bloodthirsty Trilogy from Toho. There's just been a lot of things that have happened since I've recorded with Pete. But I did get to meet him briefly. I love Monster Bash. I love all things Monster Bash. But there's never enough time to spend time with the people that you want to spend time with at Monster Bash because there's just so much going on. And I know hashtag Monster Kid problems. Oh, darn. There's too many other Monster Kids and Monster Kid stuff that I want to talk with and do. And anyway, I got to see Pete briefly. And next time, man, let's make sure we spend some time chatting it up a little bit more because, dude, Yog. 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 Um, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. I know you had a blast at G-Fest as well. G-Fest has also come and gone one of these years. I will get out to that convention too. I got to get my kaiju on with some other kaiju fans. And uh, yeah, Transylvania 65000. That's a, that's a thing. Pete, thanks again, man. It began as a routine assignment. Transylvania. Where is that? I don't know. It's over there someplace. But beneath the surface. Transylvania's. Cute. Of this happy land, ah. horror awaits them. Ah. I'm investigating Frankenstein. You mean the monster? And a terrible secret lurks in the shadows. I'm terribly sorry. We thought you were an animal. He is. Now they're discovering the truth. Did you see Dracula? Yeah, yeah, when it first came out. About the creatures of the night. Shut up, you low life. I am low. The curse of the undead. Did you want to hurt me? Hurt you? No. But the terror of the full moon. Oh yeah, going into town. And the monster that science created. Full house. But could not destroy. Does this hurt? Does this hurt? Good. Everything hurts. Jeff Goldblum. Mm-hmm. Ed Begley Jr. Hi, ladies. Joseph Bologna. Oh. And Gina Davis. Tell me you want me to. <laughs> For a good time called... Transylvania 6, 5,000. <laughs> it's good, huh? Seven young people shipwrecked on a mysterious island. The island was deserted. Not even birds or animals dared to come here. What did they find? Seaweed, fish, and turtle's eggs. Anything we can eat, as well as snakes and lizards. Just let me finish. There's a lot of grass growing around here. You can eat the roots. You can eat the roots of a lot of plants here. Never thought of that, did you? They were driven to the edge of starvation. Food was scarce, and they were forbidden to eat the mushrooms that grew on the island. Fear and hunger turned them against each other. I'll kill you. But Tango will help me live. I haven't been hungry since I left the ship. Maybe. Oh, help me. Help me. Please. 
can't we eat the mushrooms now? That would really be the end of us. Akiko! vegetable monster. Can they escape the dreaded Matongo? You'll find out when you see Matongo! Vampires. Werewolves. Zombies. Yes, these things are real. But fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural ghoulish and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry. Mark Temple is discreet. There is so much happening right now in the world of Monster Kid Radio and Monster Kid Radio adjacent that I wanted to take some time to talk about it here on the show let you know what's coming up, let you know about some things that are going on. Some of them are local, some of them are online. Just I'm excited because it's it's Halloween, man. It's October. I sleep maybe six hours a night tops through the entire month of October because I'm just going and going and going, trying to get in as many monster movies as I can, do as many Halloween events as I can. And, you know, we've been living in the Portland, Oregon area now for over a decade. We've been here for so long, and yet there are still annual Halloween events happening that I have yet to experience and go out and do. And I'm always looking to try to add more to my Halloween schedule, except for that whole sleep thing. So some of the things that I'm talking about here is one thing that I would never miss, and that's the HP Lovecraft Film Festival and Cthulhu Con. You can learn a little bit more about that over at hpfilmfestival.com. Of course, there will be a link in the show notes. And as we get closer to that film festival, which actually is happening in a week and a half, more and more information about what's going to be available at that film festival is coming out. I talked a little bit about this last week when I mentioned that they're going to be showing The Tingler, with Percepto set up in the theater. Now we've got Roger Corman lined up as a guest. We've got Victoria Price as the guest of honor. She'll be giving the keynote speech. This is going to be amazing. I've been communicating with Gwen Callahan, one of the co-organizers of the event, and we will be having a live recording of Monster Kid Radio. That will happen. And as of right now, the people that are lined up to be on stage with me doing the episode of Monster Kid Radio is, well, you know him. I wouldn't do something this big without him. Chris McMillan. He's been with Monster Kid Radio from the very beginning, appearing on the very first episode. So the Shadow Over Portland's Chris McMillan will be there. 
Dominique Lamsey's is lined up as well. I'm trying to get Victoria Price to be on the podcast slash panel. And Gwen has been working with, well, Roger Corman to get him up on stage with us as well. So fingers and tentacles crossed that you'll be hearing an episode that I record live at the Lovecraft Film Festival with Roger Corman, Chris, Dominique, myself, maybe Victoria, maybe a few other alternates, depending on what happens in terms of scheduling and who's available to do what when. And it's not just going to be a show, an episode of Monster Kid Radio. We're actually combining the podcast with Chris McMillan's panel. His panel was going to be about the Roger Corman Lovecraft film cycle. Yeah, I know Corman technically only did one Lovecraft film and Trust me, it would have been awesome, and it's going to be even more awesome because we're combining forces. We are wonder-twinning this thing. It is going to be a 90-minute session. Monster Kid Radio Live, The Haunted Palace, and the Roger Corman Lovecraft Cycle. If you are in the area, of course, I would love to see you. Please join us. I am stoked for this, and I know I speak for Chris when I say that we are both excited and nervous to take the stage and, well, chat it up with Roger Corman and company. Of course, because it is a live session of Monster Kid Radio, I will be recording it. I will be playing it on a future episode here on the podcast, but, you know, we're going to be doing it live, so if you're in the area, man, come, come see us. Of course, The Haunted Palace will be playing, and there will be a few other films showing as well. X, The Man with the X-Ray Eyes will be showing, and the new adaptation by Richard Stanley, Color Out of Space. That'll be playing as well. And a handful of really cool short films. It's just going to be a good time. It really is. If you are going to the Lovecraft Film Festival, it starts on Friday, October 4th. You can start mingling and hanging out with folks around 4 o'clock, or you can go to the art show. Dark Arbor Lodge presents Insmith, an art exhibition of eldritch terror. For $10, you're going to get in. And it's right across the street from the Lovecraft Film Festival, so you don't have to go that far. It's actually kind of sort of in conjunction with the Lovecraft Film Festival. But basically, you're going to get into this area. You're going to walk through this art exhibit, which is all inspired by the shadow over Insmith. And as you're going through this art exhibit, you are going to see some amazing art. And you're going to hear some, what I hope will be amazing sound because I'm doing the soundscape for the exhibition. So, you know, come on out, check out the amazing artwork. It'll be a good time. This is all happening around and at the Hollywood Theater here in Portland. And, you know, the Hollywood really knows how to do Halloween right because they're going to be showing things like The Seven Brothers Meet Dracula on Tuesday, October 8th. 1932's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That'll be playing on Thursday, October 10th. Night to the Living Den on October 15th. The Uninvited on October 19th. The Wicker Man on October 21st. I mean, there's just so much coming up. On Halloween Day itself, or specifically Halloween night, the Hollywood Theater will also be showing Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And while that movie did come out in the 80s, I think it's still fair to say that that fits firmly in the Monster Kid Radio wheelhouse. I don't think I'm going to make it, though. I mean, if you're in the area and you want to go, by all means, go. But I have some other movie engagements scheduled for October 31st. Talking about the annual Monster Kid Radio Halloween Monster Movie Marathon Watch Along. It's happening. Get your computers and your Xboxes and your Rokus, whatever device you use ready, 
because it's happening. I'm going to get up early for me in Oregon, so Pacific time zone, on Halloween day. I'm going to hit the button. We're going to start streaming movies. We're going to watch monster movies together all day. There will be a chat room running. I'm going to be present in that chat room pretty much all day. I have two of the movies figured out that we're going to be doing. And uh, by the end of this weekend, I'll have the rest of them lined up as well. Now, if you were part of the virtual crash last year, you know that we tried to make it uh, interactive. You know, like I said, we had the chat going and we also had video introductions and things along those lines. Well, we're going to try to do the same thing this year, except it's going to be bigger and better than ever. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, set up an account over at Twitch. Go to twitch.tv. Look up Monster Kid Radio, all one word. Between now and Halloween Day, I may throw a couple of videos up and just let them stream just to kind of make sure everything's still working okay. So who knows? You might get lucky and find me streaming a movie. But Halloween Day, that's the day to do it. I will see you there. Now, to get ready for an all-day movie marathon, I'm going to be going to another all-day movie marathon the weekend before. It's Joy Cinema's Scarathon. Now, the movies aren't locked in yet, but I have seen the list that Jeff Punk Rock Martin put together of the five films that he wants to show. And if he's able to get all five of them without any hassle, we've got three Universal movies, one Hammer film, and then a monster movie from the 80s. I think it's going to be a really good time. So stay tuned for more information about that. As soon as I know more, you'll know more. I'm sure there's plenty more going on in my neck of the woods for Halloween in October, and I could just kind of ramble on and on. I haven't mentioned The Bride of Frankenstein playing at the Academy Theater, and I'm sure some of the other theaters are doing things as well. And, of course, there's haunted houses and escape rooms and even a couple of monster burlesque shows happening around here. But, you know, maybe we'll just save most of that conversation for our Facebook group. Of course, because I'm in the Portland, Oregon area, everything that I'm going to talk about is in Portland, but... I know I have listeners all over. If there are any Halloween-specific events that you want to share with the Monster Kid Radio audience, I'd love to include that here on the show as well. So feel free to call it in or email me, and I'll make sure it gets mentioned or played here on the show. I'll go over the contact information here. Well, now, our contact information, you can email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or you can call and leave us a voicemail by calling 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Now, if you want to send an audio file to us, that'd be great, too. Of course, you can find all of this information on our website over at monsterkidradio.net, where there will be links to the aforementioned Facebook group, as well as our Facebook page and our Twitter. And in our show notes, a link to our Twitch stream, as well as everything else that we've talked about here on the show as well, including a few buttons that you can click on if you are interested in buying any of the things that you've heard about here on the show on Amazon. By doing so, because we're an Amazon affiliate, you are helping to support the show. Speaking of supporting the show, as of this recording, T Public, which is where we do most of our t-shirt sales anymore, is having a sale up to 35% off site-wide. You want to support Monster Kid Radio that way and get some cool t-shirts? Follow the link to T Public. I'm also going to make sure there is a link in the show notes to the podcast, A Conversation for One. Tyler, the man who puts that show on, reached out to me a while back and asked me to contribute to their perfect horror episode, where I put together a segment in which I talk about what I consider to be the perfect horror film. I was honored to be included in this episode, and that episode is now available. Again, that's A Conversation for One podcast, and again, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes 
to that. Once again, the band is the Beach Moonsters. I'll make sure there's a link to their Bandcamp page as well. Their four-song EP release you can pick up digitally for four euros. That's awesome. All four songs are pretty darn cool, but I really like the one that we're going to play here in a second. When I remind you that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC, all original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Invasion of the Sharkmen. That belongs to the Beach Moonsters from their album Wild Surf power find them at beachmoonsters.bandcamp.com let them know that monster kid radio sent you my name is derek m cook you'll be hearing from me again here in a few days when i release a youtube video announcing what's coming up in the month of october here at monster kid radio and then in one week you'll get the next episode of the podcast talk to everybody then ciao We'll